Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East. And Andy Ferguson. We will kick things off this week with a discussion on the lone new film on the docket, the Sophia Loren-led Italian work from her son, Eduardo Ponti, The Life Ahead. This will lead directly into the latest Pick 6 rundown of our selections for the six best performances by actors over 70 years of age of all time. Which then leads us into the Throwback Challenge, in which Christian Tibbs wrote in to tell us that the show isn't worth its salt and neither are we until we watch and review The Third Man from 1949, a noir famously starring Orson Welles, but more on that later. Uh, But first, Andy... Um, is it just me or, or are you also a little bummed that Freaky ended up only being in theaters? Because I've yeah. actually heard some good things about it. I want to see it, to be honest. Yeah, me too. And we can't see it right now because I'm, I'm not going to go to an AMC theater to see anything right now. Yeah. I mean, I am kind of excited for that fun sounding premise. Yeah, me too. I was we'll talk like, about it eventually. Yeah, I just wish we were talking about it today. Yeah. Well, you know. I guess we get what we get. As we inch closer to the end of 2020, finally, many eyes begin to turn towards award season, and this year brings us a good old-fashioned comeback story. Sophia Loren, at 86 years old, enters the conversation for the first time this century. She's being praised for her performance in a new Netflix film directed by her son, Eduardo Ponti, about a Holocaust survivor who is mugged by a young orphan boy and then develops a bond with him once he's forced to live with her. Let's discuss The Life Ahead. The Life Ahead. So that's essentially it. You've described the entire premise yeah luckily i i did the i did the setup before we even got into it that way we can just talk about the the film itself yeah yeah so it is a film directed by uh, a a person who's had a couple of films under his belt and a lot of them already starring his mom yeah i saw at least one now i've never seen any of his previous neither have i neither have i i saw that at least one of them was starring her yeah, he had a film from, I, mean, I think, 2010 with her. Mm-hmm. They also directed a short in 2014 mm-hmm. with with her. Um, nothing real significant, though, yeah. uh, until now. Uh, yeah, and boy, this this is surprisingly significant. I mean, it's, it's on Netflix's top 10 in the U.S., is. even though it's an Italian language film. Well, there's some Spanish in there, too. Um, it's a foreign language film. Either way, you dice it. And um, it's... You know, it's not an action piece. It's not, you know what I mean? It's it's not the sort of thing that you would think would rank in the top 10. On I was Netflix surprised to see United that. States. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but the first time I tried to watch this this week, I got a really bizarre English dubbed version. Ew. And I was like, yeah, I was watching it with Jess and we were like, we got to turn this off. This is off putting right yeah, now. That's gross. Like we could have changed it over to Italian language, but we weren't even thinking about it at the time. We were like, no, not hitting the right chord. Let's move on. We'll come back to it another time. Yeah. And then I watched it later on in the week in its Italian language, you know, rightly so. And, but, but man, that, that dubbing was off. Yeah, what, what are we doing? We're watching anime. Like it was annoying. <laughs> I don't need it dubbed. Yeah. I read later that Sophia Loren recorded her own English language dub, which is cool, but it just is so distracting because yeah. you're watching the mouth speak 
I, I would bet even her doing her own English language dub would be a little yeah, it's, like it's weird, bizarre. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but I mean, regardless, that doesn't say anything about this film itself. Um, mm-hmm. I watched this, so I told you I tried to watch it once. That was earlier in the week, and I just watched it finally, front to from beginning to end today. Um, so recently, it's fresh in my mind. Uh, Good. It is. It, what to say about this movie? It stars basically Sophia Loren and this young young actor. Mm-hmm. Ibrahima Gie. He is a 12-year-old in this film. I don't know if he's 12 years old in real life. Yeah, but. so that was interesting because several times Lara asked me, how old is this kid's? He looks to be? younger than 12. And I was like, I would go as low as 8 or 9, as high as maybe 12. Yeah. He's supposed My, to be 12 in this movie. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he seems a little younger than that. I'll say mm-hmm. that in this yeah, movie. Yeah, because he's so scrawny. It's a very tiny kid. And he's a, I mean, this movie's about troubled pasts. Mm-hmm. both young and old mm-hmm. you know yeah. both of these two characters have well one obviously has a history his, like a long history of a past of a, a struggle just given her age right yeah so not only is she a holocaust survivor she's a former prostitute who now for decades has been taking care of prostitutes abandoned children right um and that's where she's at when we meet her she's already got two kids living with her and then this third one gets dumped on her right after he's mugged her <laughs> <laughs> right and it, it kind of just happens very quickly um, yeah the really movie does. the movie is short actually mm. yeah surprisingly short and i think that's one of the drawbacks weirdly enough for me huh. is that i think this movie could have benefited from another half an hour of more of a background of these both of these two characters some character honestly. development i felt like the overall structure of how they develop their relationship and how they it, it does follow kind of a very paint by numbers you know what kind of what's going to happen mm-hmm. when this movie starts to unfold yeah this kid is troubled very troubled and needs quite literally said in the movie female guidance um from this woman who we, we find out from the doctor of this woman and the person who's been caring for this kid almost wants to Pawn leave off. this kid with her yeah and tries everything he can to do it. Um, and you know, it, it, she's very resistant. She's very, she's very good in this. Sophia Loren, I think, but um, she's very resistant and you can kind of see where it's going though. Mm-hmm. Kind of see there's going to be a half an hour period where they're very at odds with each other. And then it's going to slowly become warmer and more sentimental and the movie's going to go a certain way. Yeah, you know. it, it is a very sentimental film, overly so. It's very Oscar Beatty, you know, which yeah. is strange because usually you're not used to seeing Oscar bait come from another country. You know what I mean? But it's, it does it, have that kind of vibe. It, it does. does. It, it, you're, uh, you seem to, to just assume that that's, um, that is a symptom of the Hollywood machine, but but other con- countries are capable of, of doing that. Mm-hmm. But um, despite all those things, you know, uh, the reason that we're even talking about it is because Sophia Loren gives a really terrific performance in this. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's never Oscar Beatty in her performance, I don't think. No, not at all. And even through the first half, you're thinking like, all right, she's real solid in this. Why is she getting awards consideration? But the second half of the movie, she actually does get more to do. Yeah, than- without a lot of spoilers i think when the health ailments start to emerge 
I think her performance gets better and better. Yeah, because it's more nuanced. There's more. Mm-hmm. There's more for her to 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 mm-hmm. chew on. And and the and the performance by the child is is solid. I think there are moments where he's good. Uh, honestly, I I think he's the real star of the film. If you ask me, I really? I think his performance is terrific. I I mean, I was pretty blown away by him. I don't maybe, know. I think maybe I'm a little more susceptible to child actors than you are because of how <laughs> how much I ate up Noah Jupe and Honey Boy. Yeah, and then and yeah. then I'm loving good this point. kid. Yeah, I think he's every bit as good as she is in this. That and the entire the the well the whole connection between a young kid and an older woman. I think you gravitate towards more sure. than I do. You know, sure. A, a, a mother figure. Yeah, kind of yeah. Thing. Um, I, I thought there were strong performances all around by the whole cast, especially uh, Abriel Zamora, who plays Lola. Um, she's a a transgender prostitute. Mm-hmm. And the way not only that her character is handled, but just that performance from her, that was one of the standouts as well. But there's a doctor in here that's really good. There's a shopkeeper in here who's really good. There's a drug dealer in here that's really solid. I, I thought that the whole thing is littered with some strong performances. N- nothing amazing, but... I found all of them... Uh, set up as good act as good characters but not really fleshed out enough for me that's true i mean they are presented and they are laid out but for me i don't think they really gave a lot for those actors to do in those roles yeah and that's why there's a ceiling to how good those performances Mm, can be yeah and they're all solid but But i think that's the same reason i really liked both lorenz and and guillet's performance because they're you know those those characters are more fleshed out especially especially Lorenz though I feel like there was this like internal fragility to her character that you know despite how tough she seemed on the outside she really nailed that like that warmth internal maternal thing you know yeah I I I like how she could convey a lot of the emotions necessary for this character without saying a whole lot yeah there, there's, you know, there are some really paint by numbers, Oscar Beatty things. I feel like the t- the film is a tad bit like toothless, and it shows mm-hmm. its PG thirteen rating at times. You know, oh um, yes, yes. And there were moments when I when it felt like it could probe, but then it just seemed content to just you know lay on its back and let you rub its belly instead it of definitely going anywhere. Well, speaking of rubbing your belly, let me. I have to mention this. I can't let it go, man. Can't. I know it's sort of a dream sequence, but this lioness. CGI lioness. It looks so bad. The first time you see it, it looks really bad. So bad. Uh, like this, the last time you see it, you're like, okay, this is sweet. It's because it's in the but distance. still. Yeah, it, it's, <sighs> it is distracting is what I'll say. I know it's in, in his head and, in, and it's in a dream sequence. I mean, for all intents and purposes, but... It still is distracting. It takes you out of it a little bit. Absolutely, it does. does. It really it doesn't really does. look good. I think the music in the film is really all over bad. the place. All over the place. Yeah, I mean, like even some of the pop music they use—that's oh, bad. bad. That's bad enough. Well, but even it, some of the strings are I actually know. not that great. And well, they they come in at odd times. Mm-hmm. Well, the pop music, especially though, when you're trying to have a fun moment with, you know, when he's riding his bike or you know he he's trying to enjoy life for a moment. They don't 
sit with it long enough. It kind of comes and it's here and then it's like abruptly gone. Yeah. You know? And it's like very oddly edited with the music. Yeah. The movie is. So that also kind of took me out of it a little bit. Those were the main like directing decisions that I that I found off putting. But as far as like shot composition Not and bad. lighting, I thought it was pretty solid. Like mm-hmm. there's some really good looking shots. Sure. Yeah. And because there were some good performances, especially like double handers. I don't know. I thought I thought he did an admirable job of directing. This. Totally fine. Totally fine job directing this. Film. Yeah. Um, uh, while I'm not completely blown away by her performance, I think it's very, very good. It's good. I, yes. I will not be disappointed if and when she gets a nomination. You think it's a basically a guarantee? I don't think that it's a guarantee. I think it's close to that. And um, if in the event that she does, I think it's likely that she will. Yeah. Um, I won't be disappointed. I, I won't say, oh, but she took somebody else's spot, you know? Maybe not. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I thought it was really very good. It is a very good performance. And it's and it's the thing that holds this movie together, un- together enough for me. And, and I think it's an, it would be in a long line, especially in the for some reason in the best actress category. There's a lot of these almost every year where you get a really good performance in a just pretty okay movie, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like there was that Jennifer Aniston got nominated several years back for some movie called Cake. Mm-hmm. I remember know? this, and yeah. Get, there's a long line of these where you get, you know, a really good performance by a really good actress in an otherwise, you know, three to three and a half star film. Um, right. And I guess that's showing my hand a little bit, but I'm giving this three and a half. Yeah. And we, you just mentioned three to three and a half. I'm at a three on this. Yeah. So. I'm a little less than you on this because there were just too many other things that brought me down a little bit on yeah. it, but it's, it's, it's a fine film. I just, I feel like those two main performances were so strong and I, and it's, I think it was one of also those feel good morality tales that I kind of was, was needing. I thought you would be more into this than I would based on that reason, because it comes at the right time and all of that. And I, I I just quite honestly, not as high on him in this as you are. Yeah. You remember around this time last year, I didn't hate green book. (laughs) Oh wow. You didn't. I think I gave green book three and a half stars. Like I I didn't hate it. I yeah. had a decent time with it. I'm not comparing this. To Don't that. rewatch it. I'm just comparing the situation to that. <laughs> um, I am sus- more susceptible than you are to some of this overly saccharine stuff. You're a little more mm-hmm. cynical than I am mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for good reason. I mean, um, we are who we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's still a film I, w- I wouldn't deter anyone from checking out. Well, we went pretty quick on this. So do you want to just skip the break and go right into the to Let's the pick six? Because they partly because they meld so well together, you know? That's so, true because technically she's a not a candidate for this she's list. She's a candidate for this list. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um so the recent resurgence of Sophie Loren or Lorenaissance, if uh-huh. you will, got us, Andy and I, thinking of the best performances by old timers. Uh, as you might recall, we did the six best child performances a few weeks back, and this week we decided to flip the script and rank the six best septuagenarian plus performances. So actors and actresses over the over 70 years of age who proved they still had the goods even late in their careers. Um, this was a lot of fun to put together, um, a lot of fun to revisit, a lot of, I, it, it was an interesting list. I was telling you off air, I have a really embarrassing omission about my list. Mm. Um that I don't have anything 
prior to the year 2000. All of mine is 21st century and I feel horrible about it. And we talked before about, you know, possible explanations as to why that might be. Um, I'm hoping you might represent for the, the more vintage era. Of, we'll see, of but we'll find I'll tell out. you this, you might be disappointed. I don't know. I think we're both going to have similar eras on our list. Uh, that scares me. Well, let's dig right in then. What is uh, number six on your list of the best septuagenarian plus performances for lack of a better name for the category? Yeah. Well, um, number six for me is a performance by an actress who was 84 at the time. That's up there. Yeah, at the time of this, uh, the release of this film, and that's June Squibb in Nebraska. Interesting, because number six on my list is Bruce Dern in Nebraska. Wow! So, wow, we have Nebraska in for different reasons. For different reasons. Let's let's just combine this. Then. This is crazy. Let's combine it. Nebraska Weird. Talk. That our number sixes tend to coincide in certain ways, but it's, never like this. No, never like this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Bruce Dern will not make my list. I'm I'm glad you put him on your list. Good. I'm glad uh, that you gave fantastic in Nebraska. some love on this. Well, well, this is kind of a role that brought her into the public's eye a little more than she had ever had been. Yeah, she of, was definitely of, on the peripheral. Yeah, no one really could identify her much. But then this movie came along, and even though it's a small movie by many people's standards, it it was still at a time when Alexander Payne was kind of at the top of his game, and Man, yeah, these two performances by both of these people uh, who are married in this movie. <laughs> um, Bruce Dern gets the biggest role. He gets a lot to do, um, but June Squibb makes the most of her time in this movie. And she is endlessly quotable and she's profane and just kind of just kind of unruly in this. She plays by her own rules in this movie. She's ridiculously funny throughout the entire thing. I've seen this movie three or four times already, and it's only what it came out in 2013. I yeah. love this film. I think it's one of Alexander Payne's best films, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of great 70 plus performances here. Uh, um, besides, you know, you got Bruce Dern, you got June Squibb, uh, Stacy Keach mm -hmm. as well. Mm hmm. Plus, this thing was nominated for six Oscars, so both Squibb and Dern got nominated. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it got a Best Picture, Best Director, a few other things. Um, so, yeah, th this is a fascinating film for, you know, a, a number of reasons, but the, one of the main ones I wanted to point out, so it, it, um, it was nominated Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. Um, and that's pretty fun, but uh, uh, Payne, uh, he he, you know, specifically thought of Dern, but the um, the Paramount wanted a big star for it, so they wanted Gene Hackman, Robert De Niro, Robert Duvall, Nicholson, or Robert Forster. Ooh, Forster! And huh? so Hackman had retired. Duvall and De Niro were doing other things, and Payne just said, you know, I, I, he he's he's this is a quote as to what he said about Dern. He said, well, he's of the right age now. And he can be both ingenious and ornery. And he's a cool actor. In a contextual level, I haven't seen on the big screen a great Bruce Dern performance in a few years, so I'm curious to see what he'll do. And he's a hell of a nice guy as well. He nailed it. He did. Um, and then um, a, a little spoiler alert, but a very minor one. We This might be um, the, first, the first of two straight weeks where we talk about Will Forte. 
as well. Um, gotta yeah, give, gotta give some gotta give some love to Will Forte. So um, again, the studio really wanted uh, somebody else. Yeah, I can't even imagine that they would want Will Forte here. They wanted Brian Cranston, hmm. and um, Alexander Payne considered him a bad fit. So then the studio came back and they said um, Paul Rudd, Casey Affleck, or Matthew Modine. No, 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 no. How no, crazy no, is that? No, no, no. But uh, again, Payne said, you know, Forte, he physically, he believed he could be the son of Bruce Dern he looks like and his June son. Squibb together. Um, and, and then I just believe him as a guy I would know around Omaha or meet in Billings, Montana. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And I don't believe that for really anyone else he mentioned that you mentioned there. Cranston? I mean, no. Not Cran- Cranston's too... Matthew Modine? Are you kidding me? Matthew Modine, I would never cast in anything. Sorry. (laughs) I've never been a fan of Matthew Modine. Yeah. He's he's actively... I can make a whole podcast on Matthew Modine and how it looks like he's acting at all times. He's a little too self-aware. Stream actor. Yeah. Anyway. Um, But yeah, both of these performances are just lovely, lovely performances. Um, It was beautiful that she got nominated. It was great. And I mean, Durnab's of course deserved a nomination but yeah it's, it was nice to see squib get nominated also this movie well it's really the last time pains made a good movie i hope we see more good pain soon because downsizing was uh, that was a premise that was really exciting yeah just, sure and he, I, I him so doing it i was like about. nice yeah yeah well, hopefully he comes back soon so we're back to you then for five. Oh my god we are aren't we Yep, bust your notes out and uh, let's see what's at number five. Uh, <laughs> number five for me is the old, I guess it's going to be the oldest movie on this list because you had mentioned you don't have anything from the previous century. I don't. All of mine are 21st century. I don't either other than this one, which barely made it. And that's Jason Robards and Magnolia. Okay, so I do. Okay, never mind. I okay, forgot I okay. forgot that that was it's 99. 99. It's nine, it qualifies. You're right. Okay. So. I mean, this performance is poignant in in a couple of ways, but mostly because he was literally dying when they filmed this. Yeah. And I he's mean, dying in the movie, and you can clearly see that it's he's got a lot of ailments going on. Yeah, when, when P.T. Anderson asked him to do the film, he had agreed to do it, and then he had to back out because he had a staph infection. And then he healed up from the staph infection and again was able to come back and do the film. But he clearly is laboring through this. But he also yeah. turns it into a performance that humanizes the guy and he's there enough. And it's just his scenes with not only Philip Seymour Hoffman but with Tom Cruise, both of them throughout the film. Whew, man, it's heavy stuff. It's weight. There's weight added to the movie because of his scenes. Especially this one particular monologue he gives mm-hmm. that just oh, yeah. really like, mm-hmm. oh boy. I mean, I don't think the movie would have would have been as good without him in that role. No, I really no, don't. it wouldn't have. Uh, even though it doesn't take up nearly maybe a third of the movie max, not even. No, it would still be a great film. It just wouldn't be an all timer. Yeah. And I think, you know, say what you will about Magnolia. I think you and I are on the side where we think it's one of the great movies of the last 25 years, 35 years, whatever. I mean, it's been out for what, 21 years now. You could keep pumping 20 number up and I would still right. agree. You, you, you could say 70 years. And I'd yeah, still there are agree. a lot of people who say that this is not even his in his top five movies. Those people are high on. Something. But 
I think this is arguably still my favorite of his films. Um, and seeing Robards kind of give his like farewell tour in this movie is yeah. powerful. It, uh, it was his last role, his yeah. last performance. Yeah. Yeah. So that's five for me. Uh, okay. Number five for me is um, still a record for oldest, oldest. I think it's either the oldest Academy Award acting uh, uh, winner or at least male acting winner. And that is Christopher Plummer in Beginners. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. You've, you've always loved this film a little bit more than me. Yeah. And I, I rewatched it the other day. I still, it's a very good movie. I still love this movie. Uh, it's, it's kind of a blast. Um, and, and it's crazy that it's based on Mike Mills's real life. Mm-hmm. This is something that actually happened yeah. to him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, Plummer, as far as I remembered, Plummer actually didn't have a whole lot to do in this film. Um, and I think I remembered that because because of the stilted um, timeline and chronology in the film, I remembered that he died early on in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I, I hadn't remembered right that they go back and forth all over the place. He is he is in this whole entire thing. And he's got he's got some really funny scenes. And he's got some really touching scenes as well, especially, you know, once his character starts to die, because it, for those that don't know, it's um, Christopher Plummer plays Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor's father in this. His wife has just died after decades of marriage. He's 74 years old and he comes out as gay three months after his wife has died and he lives four more years and then dies. And we pick up the story shortly after he's died um and his son is starting a new relationship he meets a girl played by melanie laurent at a party and um i I think he learns to love again um (laughs) it's the best way to put it I, i just it's a i think it's a really beautifully acted film it's a really beautifully written film and it would not be the same without Plummer's performance it's a really really endearing performance um, and it's not played for laughs necessarily. Like the comedy that, that you get isn't because, Oh, look at this gay old guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like I do get a little bit of that from Goran Wiesnik's performance in the film as his lover, but Plummer's character is just really, I don't know. It's, it's a really beautiful and vibrant performance and the film would not have been the same without it. So. I do love him in this as well. Yeah. Um, Honestly, hadn't thought about it. Didn't that that performance did not hit my radar. I probably mm-hmm. would have considered it on my list, but he did not make it. But not because I, you know, crossed him off. I just forgot about this performance. Yeah, I don't remember if it's if it's the oldest ever or if it's the oldest for um uh one of the two male acting categories. I don't. Recall, I see. But I, again, another director like I just mentioned with Alexander Payne. I hope Mike Mills gets back because 20th Century Women was something I. Did. Did not. Yeah, like. that's what I heard. That's why I stayed away from it, honestly. Mm, it's got a lot of good reviews, but I personally did not enjoy it. Um, number four for me is the, arguably the most famous actor on this list. You could argue one other one for being more famous for me on my list, but number four for me is Robert Redford in All is Lost. Um, the J.C. Chandor 
single person movie, which it is a truly a single person film. Mm-hmm. Where I, this was the V one that I wanted to get to that I didn't get around to. We still haven't gotten you to watch this movie. I on know, this, podcast. this is the second time we've talked about it on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I had considered Redford for Old Man and the Gun. And you like Redford more than I do. Yeah, I'm a humongous Redford. And you still yeah. haven't seen this movie. You, this know. is going to be a throwback at some point. It seems like it. Yeah. Because yeah. this is the second time we've talked about it and I had to say, oh, I meant to get to it. This but is I the didn't. best Redford performance of late career Redford, I think. Yeah. Um, because he has to command the whole thing. He has to really not only convey a sense of survival and peril, but he has to keep you entertained. For 100 minutes or whatever it is. I mean, I mean, J.C. Chandor does some interesting things to, to do it as well, but it's mostly on Redford's shoulders here. Yeah, it sounds like you would need a bona fide movie star, like one of the greatest of all time to pull that off. Right, huh? and he is, and he absolutely is. Yeah. Um, Damn right he is. He is, although <laughs> I would still consider Paul Newman a... A more of a movie star. I, I consider Robert Redford a great movie star, but a, also like a a really like trailblazing producer and behind the scenes guy more so. But yeah. Paul Newman is like I get it. The, both of those guys do the same thing, and I can see how Newman is a little more versatile at that. Right, but Paul Newman is, or I mean, Robert Redford is very important in many aspects. True of film cinema for true behind the camera six decades or whatever yeah but um in this movie you know he's shipwrecked and this entire movie is set at sea and i gotta tell you man i've seen it twice and i don't know man it it achieves something that is very difficult to do is to keep you involved the entire way with literally nothing but a person in a boat small little boat and dingy yeah um, every once in a while, it seems like once every decade or something, a movie will come along like this. Some of them work, some of them don't. Open Water worked for me. This one really worked because of the performance. And it just had to make my list. Um, he's not acting anymore, but this was one of the final. And, and The Old Man of the Gun I considered too. Yeah. But this one is like that late career Redford where you're like, yeah, this is the one. Yeah, the reason I considered Old Man of the Gun is because he's so damn charming in it he is and it's almost like he turns back the clock for that old charming redford that he always was yeah he does and that movie features a lot of fun things and it's one of my favorite directors of the last 10 years too it's it's got hints of sneakers in it kind of does it brings back that charm and that wit yeah uh number four for me is um charlotte rampling in 45 years oh another movie you've liked you like a lot more than i do yeah and this is another one with that has more than one terrific, like A plus mm-hmm. septuagenarian performances. Because sure. Tom Courtney is excellent in it too. But Rampling is is the choice here. Um, because she's unreal in this thing. Um, especially that very like the very last 30 to 60 seconds of the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, at the wedding, at the 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 anniversary party. Well, and, and that look talk about a director who knows how to stick a landing (laughs) yeah a guy that knows how to end films yeah this i think andrew haig is somebody who we're going to be hopefully talking about again soon because his most recent movie we both are champions for as well lean on pete yeah but yeah anyway not to Uh, interrupt no 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 you're spot on uh she's just she's a revelation in this thing and again 
This is another one where she was nominated for an Academy Award mm-hmm. for it. Um, I, I, and I don't remember who else was nominated that year, but, um, but I'm sure I can find it pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it, she's just, it's a thin line because, you know, her husband, um, she, she does, she's kind of taking this caretaker role of him in this film. And so she has to be soft and understanding and caring, but, but not at the, um, at the expense of her own feelings and her own sense of self. And that's a tough thing to convey. And I think she does it very, very admirably in this film. Um, uh, I don't remember who beat her out for this, but they better have done one hell of a job because this thing's good. Uh, what is the year? Okay, so I have this I have this up. Okay. Here are the nominees without the winner, and then I'll tell you the winner at the end. For best Charlotte Rampling. Yes, okay. best actress at the what 2015 Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Charlotte Rampling for the film we're talking about, 45 years. Mm-hmm. Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence for Joy. Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett for Carol. Uh-huh. The winner was Brie Larson for Room. That's right. That's yeah. right. All right, I'm not upset about it. I mean, I get why she won. It's sure. A, a lot of this shit's about campaigning, and Larson campaigned her ass off for that. Good for her. So, but um, of that crop, it's hard to... Yeah. Ramp, rampling was terrific. Let's just say that. Absolutely. So, I agree. That's the strongest part of the movie for me, and Courtney. Yeah. I like them both. But I mean, I, I gave her a couple, I, I bumped her up ahead a, a couple of these guys near the bottom of my list just for the last 30 seconds of this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's gut-wrenching what she does. She's she's something else. I mean, you can't argue with that choice. All right, man. Time to Here we go. hand out some medals. Yeah. Um, Talk about a movie that is very hard to choose between the male and the female performance. I have to go with Emmanuel Riva in Amor. Mm-hmm. Um, hard for me to choose between the two. I wanted to do a tie, but that's a cheat. Yeah. It's a cheat. Yeah. You can't have a pick seven. That's what it would have been, you know? But I'm going to go with Emmanuel Riva because in Michael Haneke's Amor, she has to play the side of the relationship where the person suffers a stroke. And she, when this happens, and when it's so quietly devastatingly happens in this movie uh i don't know the loss the darkness the blackness in her eyes and what happens in that performance is just oh it's hard man it's hard this movie is still um, uh, among the last 10 years of cinema i think this movie is still the one where i'm like one of the handful of movies where i'm like i just can't watch it again yet i just can't do it i've only seen it twice i've only seen it once and it's it's, still i remember everything about it yeah i I really wanted lara to watch this this week and i didn't have it in me to watch it myself and that's why third time in the last eight years yeah exactly that's a lot because it is it is emotionally draining as beautiful and wonderful as it is well, it's also one of his most straightforward films and free of a lot of hate and anger and emotional kind of like boiling. It's just simply a tale of this relationship. Yeah, it's his quietest film. It is definitely his quietest film, even though yeah. he doesn't make a lot of 
he makes a lot of quiet films, but there are bursts like we've mentioned before. Yeah. And this only has a couple of those moments, but not many. Whereas most of his films have three or four or five. This one only has two that I can think. Yeah. Of. And there's not a lot of anger and violence in this film as opposed no. to some of his other movies yeah. will have those moments. Um, yeah, they're both absolutely terrific in this film. Legends. I love both. They're of them. legends. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's a director at the very top of his game. And it's just, you can't make this list without at least acknowledging this film. No, I mean, no, you can't. Um, yeah, I, we're going to talk about it. Absolutely. That. I know. Yeah. Um, for my number three, we're going to talk about one that we've already mentioned, that you've already mentioned, and that's Jason Robards in Magnolia. We'll go short on it. Um, so, uh, PT specifically wrote the role of Earl Partridge for Robards and then he wasn't able to do it because of a staph infection like I mentioned so then um, Anderson went and approached George C. Scott mm, who was who, also nearing the end of his life I would imagine turned it down <laughs> so then hopefully Ro- not for reasons that uh, old Jimmy Stewart turned <laughs> yeah I don't, what do we say the, the profanity and he, uh, he objected network. to the language yes <laughs> Yes. I feel like George C. Scott might be the same way. <laughs> well, um, uh, Robards said of his character, quote, it was sort of prophetic that I be asked to play a guy going out in life. It was just so right for me to do this and bring what I know to it. So beautiful. Yes. And apparently much of the material um, was based on Anderson watching his father die mm. of cancer. I remember um, uh, uh, P.T. Anderson's father was a famous voice actor um, for television. Um just like commercials and like news reels and stuff like that. Um, and so that, I think that's, that's where this whole television subplot kind of came from and the father dying who used to be a TV producer. So, um, that's kind of, I mean, obviously it's a bummer that, that Anderson had to draw on personal experience for this, for this particular part. Sometimes that's what you have to do, I guess. But I have to think that like shooting it with a guy like Robards who was actually suffering himself while making the film, had to be um, all too real for uh, for both of them, um, so it's kind of a great pairing. You yeah, know? I mean, there's there's something just eerie about the performance because you yeah. are witnessing someone withering away, mm-hmm. not yeah. just in the movie. And it seems very clear. And there are times when you watch it and you think, like, how is he even able to deliver this performance yeah. as well as he is? And it just shows you how much of a consummate professional he is. It's a how- great send off to an actor who was never really given enough recognition. Not quite enough. No. Yeah. Um, especially it, w- it was interesting a few weeks ago, we watched parenthood. Yeah. He's great. In that. And how great he is in that, you know, and it's just uh, at our age, we didn't get to see a whole lot of films with him in it. We really you know? didn't. Yeah. No, not really. Cause we also recently watched all the president's men movies like that. Yeah. And it's like, that was his prime. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Terrific performance. What's number two on your list of the best septuagenarian performances of all time? Robert De Niro and the Irishman. I was wondering what, when this was going to show up. I mean, like I, we can go short on this too. This is an all timer for him because he spent the last whatever amount of time kind of middling around in weird choices, studio comedies, all sorts of random movies. Yeah. But this is him returning to work with an, a director who's he's it's his favorite director. And they clearly saw eye to eye and they said, we need to make one final film in the genre of for lack of a better term, mobster g- genre that completely is 
without any romanticization or glorification of the profession of being a gangster. I mean, yeah. And what he accomplishes in this role is just Frank Sheeran's a very simple man and he's very dedicated to what his job is, but is all, it also robs him of any kind of emotional connection in his life. And what De Niro finds in this character is just, he quietly goes about the performance. And so the Pacinos who are boastful receive more attention and the Pesci who's suddenly quieter than he usually is, receives more attention. Then you have De Niro anchoring the movie the entire way in a way that is just, it's, it's, very workman it's harrowing though it's it's yeah. scary to see a guy live his entire life let everything important pass him by yet he's still here and then the way that movie ends is uh it's pretty amazing to watch so i there there's a few different like uh film nerd uh facebook groups that i happen to be in and i posted some uh, uh a, a question in, in a couple of them asking people hey you guys what do, what do you guys think are some of the best you know roles uh by people 70 and up you know best performances um because this was a really hard category to research yeah i agree um and they uh so many people posted you know uh, uh de niro pesci and pacino in the irishman all three of them and i thought well you know those other two are they're great they're they're great performances but uh nothing nothing is near as good as as what uh what De Niro with time I think the De Niro performance will be recognized not only for what he does in the movie but for what it does to his legacy you kind of forgot a little bit about how good this guy is yeah I mean this guy is if I was forced to make a top 10 favorite actors of all time he's on my list Mm -hmm. I mean he's he's he could have been typecast so many times early on because of all those early roles and because of the New York accent, because of the mobster style he has about him, but he never let it happen. And he continues to be relevant, you know, in our culture because he does as bad as some of those movies are that he does. He stays relevant to different generations. Mm -hmm. He's around in the way that some of these other guys in his era are really not as much there as he is now. But anyway, the point is the performance in this movie is, I mean, I think it's a giant. I think it's one of the best of the last several years. So that's two for me. Um, you haven't had any comedic performances on your list, have you? I have not, no. Nor have I. Until now. Until now. <laughs> just barely making the cut. Gene Hackman in the Royal Tenenbaums. Ooh, was he 70? He was 71. 71, all yeah. right. Um, man, Hackman. I, I think this is... For my money, it's the greatest comedic performance by anyone 70 and up. I can't think of another one um, that I like more. Because yeah. like Bruce Dern doesn't necessarily count as a comedic performance. And no, even that movie is som- somber yeah. performance in that movie. Whereas there are some serious moments in this, but this is a comedy and this is a comedic performance. Mm-hmm. Um, Hackman was Wes Anderson's choice for Royal. He even wrote it. He, Anderson says uh, it was written for him against his wishes. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Hackman was hesitant about accepting the role, even um, uh, citing his lack of understanding of or commonalities with the character Royal. So because he was reluctant to take the role, uh, Michael Caine was considered. 
for the part of Royal Tenenbaum himself. And even Ooh. Gene Wilder mm. was con- was rumored to be a possible choice. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because of how much I love that film and how much I hold it up to high regard, I can't imagine either one of those guys doing it. No, nor can I. I and it's one of those, like, and I, it was one of his last performances. Not, yeah. not the last, because I think that that really shitty. Like, Welcome uh, to Mooseport was his last. Was his last one, and th- there was that one that he did with where he he teamed back up with Owen Wilson to do that one army movie. What was what was that dumb army? Oh, movie? Oh, so bad behind enemy lines. Yes, yes. Oh, I saw that in the theater, and I deemed it the um, <laughs> oh. m- the minefield movie, the shitty minefield movie. That's a that's a good title. For Terrible it. movie. But yeah, it, it's it's a it's a really great performance by Hackman in this film because. He's got to ride this this thin line of of, you know, his character is a scumbag. That's why his oh. family doesn't want anything to do with him. Oh yeah, he's awful. And he's a liar, <laughs> and he's completely selfish, and you know all of this. But yet, as an audience, we still need to sympathize. Isn't the right word, but I'll use it in lieu of a better one. Uh, you, you do need to sympathize with him so that you actually give a shit what happens to him as an audience, and. I don't know that someone other than Hackman, not many people other than Hackman, could have pulled that off in such a brilliantly funny way. The way he just enters a room. He's great. The way he interacts with everyone, manipulating everyone. It's the way he he acts alongside um, not only Angelica Houston, but Danny Glover. Oh, God. That that whole, you know. The snide remarks to him, yeah. The rivalry between the, it's just. Yeah. He, he is, he's brilliant in this movie. He's great. And, and, then, and of course, this is a well-documented film that both of us absolutely love. One of our favorite films ever. Agreed. Um, it's his best and, film. And it's full of a cast of tons of great performances. This is one of the absolute best. If we were ranking the best performances in that film, this would be very high near the top. It's, probably, it's the best perform, performance in the film, I think. I, I would be hard-pressed to say any anyone was better than him in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all great, but... Different so, levels. I'm giving this number two, but it's the number one comedic performance by a septuagenarian okay. in, in, in my estimation. So fair enough. All right. Gold medal time. Gold medal time. All right. Uh, so you know what mine is because uh, we haven't talked about it yet, except for when you talked about uh, it. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. but I have no clue what yours is. Um, This is a chance for me to once again, sing the praises of the type of region in this country that i really enjoy films being produced in and just overall stories it's a it's a so-called southern gothic tale and this performance is by hal holbrook he was 84 when this film was made and he's still going strong at 95 today this is a film that evening sun that i've already talked about on this show before mm-hmm. don't even remember what it was for necessarily what pick six it was but i've i've had it in a pick six before what year was the film 2009 it might have been the 2009 list it was it was our lost the lost episode the lion king 2009 yep. performances there episode. it is yeah so i guess this is the first time i guess technically this is the first time you're other gonna hear pe- me talk about people it. other than me have heard you talk about it <laughs> yeah and so at 84 years old he's asked to anchor a movie um where he is well obviously a quite old person who is a widower who has lost his family farm of decades to 
someone who he's at odds, has been at odds with as odds with for a while. And it's just him trying to confront all of that loss while also, well, entering almost dementia mm. and seeing him try to grasp everything that he once had that he can no longer have is it's heartbreaking performance. Yeah. And uh, Walton Goggins plays his son who they don't see eye to eye. And um, the, the person who moves into his property and is making it their own farm and definitely is at odds with him is a uh, Ray McKinnon. Um, this is a production by the same team, Goggins and McKinnon, who we recently talked about with the accountant. Yeah. Um, I just gravitate towards these guys. Yeah. And I always have. And like you mentioned, you really gravitate toward this, these kinds of tales from this section of, of America. I do for whatever reason. Yeah. Interesting. Well, section of America for me. You're not entirely a small town guy, but like mm-hmm. you're like, you grew up in small town adjacent kind of thing. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, and, and, and so I feel like you, this sort of thing resonates with you because you, because you appreciate those people, you know, you sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially when stories are told about them from their perspective, you know, and like a lot of films, small town people can be looked down on and they're used well, for comedic relief. Yeah. They're or, portrayed in a way by people who don't have any idea what they're trying to, portray yeah and so and ray mckinnon and scott teams who wrote and directed this who coincidentally made the, the recent quarry. the quarry from this year yeah on which we were both mild on but i think he has a vision at least and has a respect for this kind of faction of the country yeah and and that's what it's about it's about respect it is know? and that, it is if you do it if you view it that way and shoot it that way then you're, it's gonna it's gonna resonate off the screen in a very different way as well. Here's the crazy, interesting thing about this movie that the mind blows my mind more than anything else. Okay, Hal Holbrook was 84, right? Mm-hmm. He's still acting. Yep, he's 95. This is the first time he had ever received a top billing in a movie. Really, 2009. What else did we just watch recently? All the President's Men. He played right. Deep Throat. That's right. He's Deep Throat. He's yeah. been. In plenty of iconic films and roles, but never did he receive a lead performance until this movie. Wow. Insane. Really yeah. insane. It's insane. And it's as great as I hoped it would be. He's phenomenal in this film. So always was going to be my number one. Before we even made this list, before we even did this week, I was like, well, I get to talk about Hal Holbrook and that evening sun that's pretty much exactly how i felt about this list as well go ahead and pull up the uh, uh who was nominated alongside emmanuel riva mm-hmm. and michael haneke's amour and i'll be honest with you i'm cheating tie it, it's a tie i almost did it it's a tie and, and i have damn good reason for it being a tie because they're both so i mean damn yeah, of course they are good in this jean-louis trentignon mm-hmm. is is uh, they're they're dead even uh, in terms of what they are asked to do and what they accomplish in their performances in this film. Um, Jean-Louis Trintignant came back to the screen. He hadn't acted in 14 years and he came back for Haneke. So uh, Haneke sent him the script that he had written specifically for him. And uh, Trintignant said that he chooses which films he works on based on the director itself. 
And he said of Haneke, quote, he has the most complete mastery of the cinematic discipline from technical aspects like sound and photography to the way he handles actors. And that is why he chose um, to work on this uh, with him. And um, Haneke called uh, the collaboration with, with him and the subject of the film that those two, just the, the idea of collaborating with him and, um, and specifically the subject matter, subject matter were the reasons that he decided he wanted to make this film because it, um, it was based loosely on the suicide of his 90 year old aunt who raised him. Wow. Yeah. Did not know that. That's pretty rough. Um, but yeah, Haneke wrote it specifically with Trintignant in mind, just like he had done um, for the piano teacher for Isabel Huppert and Cachet for Daniel Otiel. Um, both of those movies he specifically wrote for those people. And Haneke says that he prefers working that way, like writing a script specifically Obviously. for somebody. Because in this way, one writes something specifically, something that fits to the advantages of each actor and particularly helps them work that out. Um found that pretty interesting. So Trintignant was not nominated, but Emmanuel no. Riva was. She was, yeah. Who was she up against? And, <laughs> and it still is. It is still the, she's the oldest best asterisk nominee uh, of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, 85, at least for the moment. If Lorraine gets nominated this year for The Life Ahead. She would beat her by one she year. She would beat her by one year, <laughs> yeah. So at the time, oldest best, best actress nominee ever. Who well, this also featured a very young a nominee mm -hmm. uh which is okay uh i cannot pronounce the the little girl from beasts of the southern wilds kavanze wallace kavanze wallace yeah she was nominated okay jessica chastain for zero dark 30 okay naomi watts for the impossible a movie we were just mentioning like two hours ago that's earlier crazy. that's so yeah, crazy which is a very big movie on netflix right now for whatever reason yeah and then the winner Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. Crazy that the 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 two nominees that we talked about so far, like uh, Charlotte Rampling and Emmanuel Riva, both lost to ingenues who were you know at the at the at their their first time Oscar winners, you know, at the very young and in the prime of mm -hmm. their careers, you know. True. Like how are you gonna how are you gonna how are you gonna match up to that? You know what I mean? I know. It was just. The right place in the right time for both Jennifer Lawrence and Brie Larson there. Yeah, yeah what are you going to do? Um, right. But Amour famously had five Oscar nominations. That's pretty big until Roma came along. That's pretty big for a for a foreign for language a foreign film. language. That does film, not yes. happen very often. Best picture, best director, best actress, uh, foreign language, and I think it also got a cinematography I think nomination. So, yeah. I think mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Uh, and there was talk that Haneke could could had a chance to upset people and win best director. Yeah. It didn't happen. Yeah. It only ended up winning foreign language, but uh, I have not looked up who won director. Man, this um, this is one of my favorite films of the last ten years. This yeah. was it's really great, great high film. on my list of, of great film. Yeah, the, this movie kicks my ass. Uh, it's just so depressing. It is mm -hmm. so very very depressing because it is, you know, it is essentially a very basic premise. Mm -hmm. It is. Two elderly people um, who've been married for a very, very long time, and the wife starts to slowly deteriorate, and she is dying, and her husband takes care of is, is taking care of her and is struggling with how to handle that loss himself. You know, when a loved one is 
is wasting away right before your eyes and how you how you deal with the grief how you deal with the responsibility of that i mean it's it is a powerful powerful film yeah i mean it's 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 more of a simple premise than most of his movies but it's every bit as hard to watch yeah which is crazy and and what makes it so hard to watch is the incredibly realistic performances by the two of them oh yes um isabel huper shows up and crushes it Haneke favorite now yep as their daughter but she's only in a handful of scenes i mean almost every minute of this film is just the two of them yeah um and if that sounds boring you are wrong because it's it's riveting it's a phenomenal piece of work uh and at two hours and 14 minutes it seems kind of long but Mm, i know it earns it i would have watched three hours of this thing agreed um uh i i know that now that we're doing the podcast i don't need to watch it anytime soon but I might just have to get it out of the way because I really want Lara to see this. This is one of my favorite films of the century. I'm finally due. I haven't seen it since it came out. So I would love to hear your recent thoughts on it. I don't think it would change at all. I mean, I do love this film. If you get around to emotionally abusing yourself for two hours and 15 minutes. Well, that comes with Haneke. Um, Do you want to discuss anybody who just didn't make the list? Just barely missed the list? Because I feel bad that... um, that I only have two women on my list. Oh, well, um, so do I. There was one that you're going to be very happy that I almost put on this list, but she just didn't quite make it. Nine, I almost made this list. I watched The Farewell this really? week. Absolutely. You finally watched it. Finally watched it and absolutely <laughs> loved it. Gave it it's four very and good. I gave it four and a half stars. Four and a half. Yeah, nice. I, I mean, I was pretty blown away with it. I thought um, Aquafina was absolutely robbed. She's unbelievable in it. She's very good. And Nine, I... That that actress gave it to well, that 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 anchors the whole movie. Yeah, uh, that that almost made this list. Mm-hmm. Very close. Yeah, I had Blythe Danner in a movie called I S- I'll See You in My Dreams on this list. I think she's excellent in that little scene movie from from Brett Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, her and her and uh, um, Sam Elliott both give excellent performances in yeah. that movie. Um, um, two different performances by Ruth Gordon could have made the list: Rosemary's Baby and Harold and Maude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That um, would have represented represented other decades yeah. better. But yeah, I mean, I had uh, Dustin Hoffman and Meyerowitz stories. I think yep. of the Dustin Dustin Hoffman performances of the last whatever fifteen years, that's probably the one I would have chosen. Yeah, he's not had his best moments. Since he's been 70. But that one is a good one. I thought about Michael Caine in Children of Men. It's just, it's such a small Very role. small. It's a very small role. Um, one that, that was a little off the beaten path that I loved was Frank Langella in Robot and Frank. Interesting. You've always liked that more than I do. Yeah, I really like that movie a lot. And I specifically love that movie because of his performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Eastwood. <laughs> I think a lot of people will be surprised we didn't have any Eastwood. I don't think he's a great actor. He's a really good actor. I don't know about great. He's given some really good performances in his Twilight years, but I don't know about great. Uh, I've not seen The Mule. I almost watched it for this list. Okay, Gran Torino. He's very solid in it. It's just it, it doesn't it doesn't come close to any of these other ones. That I think he's about. more skilled as a director. Um, the only other one I had is a dark horse that was close for me and it was a very recent uh pick is by an actor who recently turned 70 who gave a very good performance bill murray and on the rocks yeah that was a really great one 
Honestly, I think he's surprisingly very good in that movie. Sneakily good. I thought about Richard Farnsworth in The Straight Story. Very nice. And then, um, man, I almost watched On Golden Pond. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it, but it's been so long. I did not rewatch it. And then there was a film that, um, that I'll close with that I've not seen that I almost watched because I thought you might have it on your list. Um, Affliction. Yeah, I rewatched it this week. Yeah, uh, James Coburn uh, mm-hmm. apparently is, he was seventy when that was made. Was he? Okay. Yeah, I've not seen it. I heard some really good things about it. I just didn't get around to it. I watched it in a free with ads way, and it was just so weird mm-hmm. how it was that I kept getting taken out of the experience by the ads. Yeah, and by the time the movie came back, every time the ads came on, I was just like, I can't, <laughs> I can't watch this movie like this. I, don't I love it. Paul Schrader. And I like yeah. Affliction, but it is not the way to watch Affliction. It's yeah. just not. I understand. Um, okay. Well, it's time for the throwback challenge. It is. I, I mentioned uh, in the intro that um, listen that uh, Christian Tibbs wrote in to tell us. Um, uh, you get you guys. You, I'm I'm not I'm not paying any attention to what you do until you watch and review the Third Man. This is important. Finally, we will get. Tibbs drive in to uh, pay attention to us. Yes. <laughs> Finally. Maybe get some free tickets out of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure there's any relation, but uh, but let's. I assume there is. Let's just assume. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, So right out of the gate, let's discuss the third man. Um, 1949 directed mm-hmm. by Carol Reed, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we I think last week we said, you know, we, we'll be in on our throwback challenge. We're going to discuss the Orson Welles is the third man. Well, as if people it were Orson assume Welles. that Orson Welles was just a director and an iconic director, of course. Yeah. Who acted because in of his own Citizen stuff Kane, yeah. obviously. Um, but he was acted in a lot of things. It's just so weird that we automatically uh, associate Orson Welles with this film. Uh-huh, and he's con- barely in it. Considering <laughs> he doesn't even speak a line of dialogue until 28 minutes left in the movie. Yeah. It's kind of baffling. So yeah, Carol Reed is actually the director of this film. And Carol Reed won an Oscar for Best Director 20 years after this for Oliver, the Oliver Twist movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's no slouch himself. <laughs> no, I mean, and Graham Greene... Uh, wrote the screenplay which is based on a grand graham green work yeah who carol reed also worked with multiple times in another film that's very famous that i haven't seen called fallen idol i don't know much about it but it's apparently another one of those must sees uh yeah so this film you know the star main star of this movie is someone who i wasn't familiar with yeah joseph cotton right yeah who plays and he isn't Orson Welles, right? He's not. He he's, not, not. he's decidedly not Orson Welles. I, I don't think he yeah. is, no. Yeah. <laughs> he is, quite honestly, though, in almost every scene of the movie. Yeah, really? Seriously. I mean, he plays kind of a forgotten novelist of kind of silly, noir pulpy... Pulp westerns. He right. writes cowboy stories. Right, and some people know about it, and some people are geeky fans. Some people have no idea who he is. Yeah, this this one military soldier <laughs> yeah. that, that's like Major Calloway's right-hand man, he is a big fan. <laughs> At first, he doesn't like him, but then when he hears he's oh, you're, the guy who wrote those... Oh, that's you. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> right. Yeah, let me get your coat for you. That brings me to the thing I was most surprised by, is that this movie's funny. 
Yeah, it kind of is. At There's times. times when it is funny. I think the reason it's funny is because of how well written the dialogue is. Sure. You yeah. Know, Graham Greene's yeah. sco- uh, uh, screenplay yeah. is zippy. You know, There's, it is. It's it's the dialogue is really well written and he Carol Reed and Green got some really good actors to to recite well, that yeah, dialogue. most of the actors handle it really well, some better than others, but this is like sure. the, the kind of movie where you're, again, I think recently we were talking about, what was it we were talking about where like Aaron Sorkin watched this and said, okay, this is, this yeah. is okay, this is where I'm taking my inspiration yeah. here. Yeah. And yeah, it does move along, it it moves right along the entire sure, way. Yeah. The script is very good. Now, I'll admit, it really, really picks up once Wells shows up. Sure. Because he's so magnetic. He's I, entrancing and just his mannerisms yeah i mean he he really really like that's there was a reason he was a giant star Mm -hmm. he's just he's electric man yeah and it just gets me more and more pumped to see what tom burke can do as orson wells in this fincher movie because i think burke is the ideal choice to play orson wells but that's another for another time uh yeah i agree uh and 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 the way wells is photographed is pretty amazing in this movie yeah i mean the cinematography is terrific and it that's is great. And, and that's before we get into all the dutch angles because this yeah. should be this should be called dutch angle the movie yeah you know right. what i mean because and it's so strange because you know uh, i've never seen so many dutch angles in one film and it's it's this interesting choice because it's so counterintuitive that you feel like carol reed had to keep reminding himself oh this let's tilt it a little bit here, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. because it's just, it's, it goes against what, what your natural instinct would be. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's lit. So beautiful. It uh, is. Especially a lot of interior shots or underground shots, the sewer stuff, especially. Oh, those are the most iconic moments. Yeah. The, clearly the, the Austrian streets that they're, that they're running around. Uh, it's, yeah. it's set in Vienna, right? It is set in Vienna mistaken. and yeah. it's, I mean, we haven't even really touched on the story, but I mean, it's, it's a typical kind of noir story. It's not, there's not a lot to it. And that's not really what the appeal is of this movie necessarily. No, I, so yeah, Joseph Cotton plays, uh, uh, Holly Martins. Mm-hmm. Um, Great who, name. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> who gets a, uh, a message from his friend, Harry Lyme that to come to Vienna, I got a job for you. Let's, let's tear it up. Dude. Haven't seen you in a while. Let's hang out. He comes, shows up and is informed that his friend is dead and he got hit by a car. Yeah. And that uh, a couple of guys drug him across the street over to, you know, where he finally died on the side of the street. And then he finds out, no, mm, that sounds fishy. There was a third man (laughs) there that, uh, that Mm -hmm. wasn't accounted for before. Mm -hmm. And so he starts digging. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there was his his dead friend had a, a love interest, uh, who was an actress with a strange accent. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of helps him piece the story together a little bit. And then it just kind of jumps off from there. And then, you know, there's some, uh, there's some espionage possibly involved. And, uh, you know, this has everything you want from a noir film. This is probably the gold standard of noir movies. Yeah. And I, I can, mean. I can see why from, from a ensemble acting perspective, from a, from a very unique and original directing perspective, uh, all the way down to the score. The score, the score is something I wanted to touch on too. Yeah, it's Anton Karras did the score. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, it, it's all zither. It is, and it's very abundant in the movie throughout. Yes, a, and it, and it made quite the impression. It 
you know, he was. It launched his career. Yeah, he he he, he was he, literally he was chart topping poverty before this. Yeah, he almost was unknown, and he yeah. ended up being chart topping and made him an international star, mm-hmm. which yeah. is bizarre. All off of a zither. Well, yeah, and, and then the score is plays into another thing that I was talking about earlier, which is that it has a playfulness to this movie, and it is a little bit comedic, and it's light on its feet. It doesn't ever take itself too seriously yeah because without that score it could really come like certain moments could come across as really like stern and dour and it never feels dour it keeps the right tone you have to hand a lot to the score in this movie i think absolutely i think it's incredible yeah me too i think that was a little bit of ahead of its time that choice Mm -hmm. and um you know just the idea that i mean the way this movie shot which we've already touched upon I think it, it's shot in a way it was almost like we know we're making something that could potentially one day be studied. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And rightly so. This is a lot of people working at a high level and it is a very good piece of work. It so is. there, there's a moment up uh, near the end of the film up in a Ferris wheel. Mm-hmm. And one of the more famous lines in the film, um, it turns out supposedly Wells ad-libbed. Um, they're they're up there in the Ferris wheel looking down um on people on the ground and and Wells c- compares them to dots and talks about how it would be insignificant if one of them or a few of them quote stopped moving forever and then he says you know that fellow that said in Italy for 30 years under the Borgias they had warfare terror murder and bloodshed but they produced Michelangelo Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance and in Switzerland, they had brotherly love and they had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what they produce? The cuckoo clock, you know, <laughs> um, apparently he uh, he added this just, you know, <laughs> just uh, of his own volition. And uh, that's the kind of thing that an Orson Welles brings to your production. On the other hand, um, assistant director Guy Hamilton um, in an interview said that uh that Carol Reed and Grant, and Grant Green worked excellent together. Yes. And that Orson Welles was, quote, generally annoyed everyone on set. He, uh, hmm. he was, he went missing all the time and they had to like, they had to, you have a body double guy. Hamilton, the assistant director stepped in and was a body well, double for him during some of the sewer scenes <laughs> because Welles was complaining about having to shoot in actual sewers. So then they had to make sets for him. Well, they did this. And this is why that, that they filmed in Vienna in these sewers and in the scenes where you can see his breath that is actually in Vienna. Yeah. But then there are other scenes when you can't, it's clearly a set yeah. and that's by his demand. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and Carol Reed had four different camera units shooting around Vienna for the duration of the production. And he had them working around the clock and they used, uh, they used Benzedrine to stay awake. Insane. <laughs> How nuts is that? That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, you, I mean, you, Union rules wouldn't let you get get away with that nowadays, of mm-hmm. course. But oh, in nineteen forty eight, forty nine, you know, all bets are off. Yeah, he well, Orson Welles was already too famous, famous enough to be able to yeah. to act this outlandishly. You yeah, know? And, and so because of that, there was speculation throughout the years that Wells, not Reed, was actually the de facto director of the <laughs> film. Of course, yes. Um, that has been debunked as a quote popular misconception Mm -hmm. and even so it got debunked so much that wells late late in his career admitted that um you know he that no it was it was it was all reed you know that that he wasn't even a producer on it and that uh 
you know, uh, it quote, it was Carol's picture is what he said. So um, for those wondering if, if Wells really was the de facto director of this, <laughs> let's give Carol Reed his due credit. The guy ended up winning an Oscar for best director. The guy's a talent in his own right. Exactly. And, and I will say, I will Give some credit to Joseph, Joseph Cotton for carrying the movie in a lot of ways. He really, really does. He's very well. good. In it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the one of the things at the time that was so well remarked about the film was how great the performances were top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of one of my favorite little bits, Tr- Trevor Howard plays Major Calloway in this. Mm-hmm. I have to feel watching it. It felt eerie because I have to feel like that character and that performance uh, that Howard gives as Major Calloway is is what Michael Fassbender is channeling in Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, like it, absolutely true. It, it was kind of uncanny when I was watching it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, that's. I mean, I hadn't even thought of that yeah. until you mentioned that. But yes, the, there, entirely. But there are a handful of really lovely little performances throughout this thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I what a great. Uh, addition to noir vember as they're calling it sure yeah um no better time i absolutely see why this is so widely regarded um i didn't i didn't love 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 it mm-hmm. but Same. i but i really really enjoyed it and respect the hell out of it to the tune of four stars i'm at a four on this as I well i probably would give it four and a quarter if i could but but that uh, doesn't nope doesn't exist rules that, that again would be cheating and i can yep. i can only cheat once per episode yeah you've already done it you already spent that yeah i wasted my cheat but this is a very good film yeah absolutely absolutely so thank you christian yes for, hopefully you will deem us a worthy podcast yes now. please please all right well that's our show for today remember to subscribe to the film harmonic on apple podcasts leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined subscribe also on spotify google play and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts Send your suggestions for the throwback challenge to thefilmharmonica at gmail.com. We're going to be back next week with a very full slate. We will begin with the newest from Martha Marcy May Marlene director, Sean Durkin, entitled The Nest, which stars Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Then we'll tackle the new film that's been gaining unlikely but widespread acclaim for Riz Ahmed in the Best Actor category, Sound of Metal, in which he co-stars with Dakota Johnson. And finally, Oscar-winning British director Steve McQueen has a new series of films called Small Axe being released on Amazon Prime Video once a week, starting this week. So our last new film of the week will be the first of this series, and that is entitled Mangrove. So we are both very excited for this whole new venture. Very excited, yes. Yeah. Yes. So because of all of the wealth of new films to discuss next week, we will bypass the throwback challenge altogether and end the show with a hearty and fun talk on our choices for the six best Lorne Michael universe films of all time. Mm-hmm. We're recording this right now, the very moment on his 79th birthday. So 70th. what's 70th 70th? Yeah. Yes. I, I got it confused with uh, Scorsese who they both share a birthday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, He's it's 70, not 79. It's, it's Martin Scorsese's birthday and Lauren Michaels birthday. And we're choosing to do next week about Lauren Michaels. Absolutely. <laughs> Instead yes. of Marty. Cause God, no, I talk, God knows I talk about Martin Scorsese too much on this. So, oh goodness. You know, so what better time to revisit some of the comedy legend? And, yes. I mean, you could call him, it's his he SNL. Is. He's he a is. television comedy legend more sure. than anything else. But so wh- that's why we're going to do the six best films that he's produced yes, yes. some of them some a SNL? majority of them are based on 
skits yeah. from SNL. I think, in my opinion, and I was telling you this earlier, I think there's five stone cold locks, mm-hmm. and then you can use your six pick on a personal favorite. Which you've which already got an idea. Of. I do. I do that with my number sixes all the well, time. We anyway. both do kind of. Yeah. For the yeah. most part. That, that's going to be really fun, though. I can't wait to. Yeah. Well, I've already I don't need to do a lot of revisiting, actually. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like I for some of the classics I do. But um, yeah, it's I, I noticed somebody mentioned to me that we don't talk about comedy very often on the show. We don't. Nah, not really. Hmm. And I, I could use a laugh. So fair enough. Uh, this seems like a good time. This today's episode was pretty interesting because we did we did um, the new film for uh, Sophie Loren, international um, film, over seventy years old. Mm-hmm. Um, then we did uh, the six best uh, septuagenarian seventy plus yeah performances, and then we talked about a film that is over seventy years old. As well. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, we we added some some uh, some some stuff from past generations we don't talk about yeah. a whole lot. There's a, a heavy theme in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And that was coincidental, really. Yeah, it was not expected at all. But, <laughs> yeah. But here we are. You know? Yeah. In the next episode, we're going to have, you know, some good variety, too. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. For that. We will. And we'll talk about comedy. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Absolutely. On the Film Harmonic. Neck brace. Substitute.